When you need to refuel between meetings or running errands, or you just want a healthy snack that squashes your hunger, wonderful pistachios, which come in a variety of flavors and sizes, by the way, are the perfect choice to fill you up and keep you going throughout the day. Wonderful Pistachios is also a good source of protein and a zero-guilt snack. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, guys, which gives you over 10% of your daily value. And with flavors like salt and pepper, sweet chili, and seasoned salt in the shelled variety, options like chili roasted, sea salt, and vinegar or jalapeno lime in the no-shell variety, you're sure to please your taste buds while snacking healthy. So check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, who has not taken advantage of the week-free trial of the fitness app yet. Check it out. It is a one-stop shop for all your fitness, nutrition, and wellness needs. Custom meal plans, personalized workout programs, meditations, sleep programs, community, support, and so much more. You can use it on any device, anywhere, any place, anytime. No equipment needed or all the equipment in the world is in there. There's yoga, there's kickboxing, there's audio only workouts, there's HIIT training, weight loss programs, prenatal programs, anything and everything you can think of is in the fitness app. And if you go to thefitnessapp.com slash podcast deal, you can get 25% off an annual subscription for $89.99 a year. So check it out and start your free trial today. Welcome to Keeping It Real Conversations with Jillian Michaels. All right, team. Today's conversation is with world-renowned gastroenterologist, Dr. Robin Chutkin, in our six-part series about getting our microbiome back to awesome. And we're going to be looking at the medicine cabinet, right? What in that damn medicine cabinet is messing us up? What do we need to do about it? Which, you know, brings me to this point. And Cindy and I were just talking about this. I was telling her, and I think I've mentioned it on the show before, that a friend of mine, her father's on 12 different medications. And the irony of this is that it's like, oh, okay, he's on three medications for diabetes, but then he's on testosterone as well, which is linked to diabetes, but he's on (laughs) heart medication prophylactically, even though he doesn't have high cholesterol because the testosterone is bad for his heart and can clot the blood. So then he's on aspirin, but the aspirin's upsetting his stomach. So then they give him something for his stomach, even though it has enteric coating, it's bothering him. And then the stuff for his stomach is messing up his microbiome and compromising his immune system. It's like this vicious Oh yeah. And the best part, Cindy, is I was like, this is nuts. You're on two different medications for an enlarged prostate and you're on a crazy amount of testosterone. And then they've got you girl right I, but then they've I, got him on statin here's the best part right so then they've got him on yeah. medication for statins even though his cholesterol 
is lower than my cholesterol. And the body needs a certain amount of cholesterol to make testosterone. But then they're pounding him full of testosterone, which is enlarging his prostate, but he's on two medications for an enlarged prostate. And I'm, I'm like, who is at the helm here? That's what they're doing these days. I can't, it's like, it's, it's insane. Crazy. The, the, the it's craziest crazy. I ever was was when a, a GP said, you know, your cholesterol is high, but let's give you a heart CT and see if it's doing anything. Yep. 100% clear. He Then no statins. I mean, why would you put, I like oh, the doctors goes, that well, say, dad let's prevent, died in yep. and I was let's like, prevent taking medication if you don't have to. Mama. And the crazy thing is, you guys, these drugs often create problems that mm-hmm. require other drugs. Yeah. So ready for this. So I think I mentioned I was helping this guy reverse type 2 diabetes. And they had this guy on Ozempic, Giardians, and Metformin. I was like, you can stay on the Metformin. I want off the Ozempic now. And you don't have to wean off of Ozempic. And the doctor, I got his, his blood sugar down to 80, which is good, right? In a week and a half, I got it down to 80. And I was like, off the Giardians now. And he's like, they say it's good for my heart. And I go, okay, get back to me and tell me what mechanism, what are we treating with your heart? Because you, you know, you're, if it's teaching your blood to use other metabolites other than sugar, we're doing that with diet and exercise and it's working, right? So you don't have a heart condition. Like what's the, me- what is the condition we're treating and what's the mechanism? Cause if it's like, oh, I want the heart to use other metabolites than sugar. Well, I'm doing that alternatively, right? Cindy. Ugh. Oh my God. And I'm not, listen, all I have are doctors on this show, right? I worship at the feet of amazing doctors, whether it's Dr. William Lee, whether they're PhDs or whether they're MDs, whether it's Dr. Robin Chutkin, right? But these people are the upstreamists. These are the ones that are trying to make us better, not throwing drugs at the problem. And remember, doctors do not put their pants on the same way. It isn't one leg at a time. My dad said that to me once about lawyers. He's like, nah, he goes, honey, (laughs) lawyers don't all put their pants on the same way. And my God, was he right, right? You can have one lawyer that'll ruin your life and one lawyer that can solve all your problems. And it's the same thing with doctors. But oh, yeah. you know, it, it comes down to this, guys. You've got to do your homework so you can be proactive in your own care. Period. End of story. And you know, this guy, Cindy, he's blindly, blindly taking all these drugs, right? So he's like, well, I'm taking D2, D2 which isn't as effective as D3. He's like, and K. And I go, well, hold on a minute. You just told me your blood is thick like molasses from all this testosterone. So they've got you on aspirin to thin the blood, but you're taking vitamin K, which is a blood clotting agent. And vitamin D2 isn't even effective. Vitamin D3 is more effective. Are you ready for this? Then I find out they have him on 50,000 IUs a week. And I'm like, buddy, that is a bananas dose. Who, how long have you been doing this? Years, Cindy. Oh my God. He's like, well, what are some of the things I need to look for? I'm like, well, calcium buildup. He goes, oh my God. They just saw that on like some scan. I'm like, who, how, what the F? It's just, it's like one medication that's counteracting another medication that's like causing this problem. It goes on. It's, it's an impossible, vicious cycle, which, you know, you got to remember 
Dr. Casey Means talks about this and she's going to be a guest um, coming up in the not too distant future. She's incredible. I would say she's probably the foremost expert on metabolic disease. Um, and we think of metabolic disease as type 2 diabetes, but as, as you know, I've elaborated personally on, it's so much more than that, right? Because it's a crisis for the cells to take in energy. And when the cells can't take in energy properly, the whole body can go haywire. But she talks about the fact that what is considered a success with each case. So it's like, how long can you keep the patient on medication? Yeah. As long as you stay on your medication, you that, yeah. you're a-okay. And I cannot for the life of me figure out, I'm, I'm like, did they tell you how to resensitize your body to insulin again? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we train big muscle groups, right? Like we walk after every meal. We, you know, we, we move every hour on the hour, like exercise, train big muscle groups, low glycemic foods, it's cold plunges. If you can incorporate them would be awesome. Get your sleep. Like all these things resensitize the body to insulin again. There are natural things that we can take, um, which I actually want to do. You know what? Maybe we should have Dr. Huberman on about this one. The naturally, natural ways to boost testosterone and estrogen um, because there are natural things we can take to do that. Like there's something called Fidogia agrestis which um, has been shown in many different studies to help support the body's ability to maintain healthy levels of both testosterone and estrogen. Um, but th the bottom line is there are even natural things, even cinnamon can help manage blood sugar levels. But it's just, I, I cannot, it terrifies me. So anyway, the, what excites me so much about this segment is that Dr. Chuckin's gonna explain how all these drugs over the counter or prescription create havoc in particular for the microbiome. And you guys know, if you listen to the show regularly, which I am hoping that you do, that your microbiome is integral. So many different facets of your health from how your body can absorb nutrition, right? Because you might be eating all the nutrients in the world, but can your body actually utilize it? The microbes in your gut, are the ones that are playing a role in breaking down the food and allowing those nutrients to become utilized by your body. They impact your immunity. They help you fight off all different kinds of diseases. They impact cognitive function. They impact hormone balance. And the list goes on and on and on. In fact, we are more microbe than human by a long shot. By a long shot. And when that stuff gets messed up, it's bad news. And a lot of these drugs are messing up our gut. So with no further ado, we are bringing <laughs> Dr. Robin Chutkin on. so She can tell us what the heck to look out for in that medicine cabinet. We'll be right back. Your business was going great, but now your team is buried in manual work. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,025, one. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. 
Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Jillian. That's netsuite.com slash Jillian to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash Jillian. All right, team. You know, I love Skims underwear because I've mentioned them and have been wearing them for, gosh, a little over a year now. So I finally had to try their bras and Skims has delivered yet again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. Even the underwire bras I wear all day are so comfortable, I barely even notice I'm wearing them. Whether it's the weightless scoop bra, the fits everybody bra, the plunge bra, the fits everybody t-shirt bra. I always get them in sand, so you never notice them. Super comfortable. Love them. Wear them nonstop all the time. Shop Skims bras at skims.com now. Available in 62 sizes, 38 to 46 H, plus get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know I sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop-down menu that follows. All right, team, we are back with one of my favorite guests, world-renowned Dr. Robin Chutkin, gastroenterologist extraordinaire. And um, during the break, the doc and I were talking about which of her myriad of books would be the most appropriate to read to learn more on the subject matter today. And you said the microbiome solution, doc. That's right. And I love how you make the fact that I'm a lowly butt doctor sound so fantastic. Just a lowly gastroenterologist playing in poop most of the day. But I love world-renowned gastroenterologist. I'm going with that. That's so funny that you I, you can't actually think about it though. You must actually just be self-effacing because what you do is such an elaborate, intricate science, and it's just, and it affects so many different aspects of our health. It's to me, it's kind of parallels a doctor that does surgery on the spine. Like it's that complicated. It's that kind of complex of a field and there are so many different far-reaching aspects of what your work touches with regard to our overall health it's so overwhelming the impact that the microbiome has on our health and it's got to be because all these little bugs are just there's more of us than them right absolutely you know in in all reality you are hitting on something that is so essential right now, which is the idea of the gut as being the engine for the entire body, right? So that's where everything gets processed, the different organs get fed. And it turns out, you know, we, we're really good at picturing the gut as, okay, this is our digestive organ. This is a food where the food gets digested, but we don't think of it as a defensive organ. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit last time, that this is where some of our main defenses like stomach acid and the gut lining and these gut microbes are. And so, you know, the really, the next question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, so what is the impact of some of these things we're doing, these medications we're taking, whether they're prescription, over-the-counter supplements, like if the gut is also our defensive organ and it is tied in with the immune system, if 70 to 80% of the immune system is actually physically located in the gut, what is the impact then of some of these different things that we're taking? And you know, Jillian, so often in my practice, people come in and they're looking for 
the magic bullet. And I'm like, yeah. actually, what you need to do is you need to stop taking these four medications because this is what is actually ruining your gut health and leading to other problems. You know, you say this, Doc, and Cindy and I were talking um, in the last segment about how our friends' fathers are on 12 different medications. And you, I, as a lowly trainer that gets to talk to people like you all day long, see what this man's doctors are putting him on. And I'm like, wait a second. They've got you on testosterone, but you have an enlarged prostate. But then they're saying that your blood is too thick and they're worried about clotting. But then they're giving you an aspirin, but that's making you sick. And then they're giving you an antacid. But then they're worried that you're going to get sick because they're killing your microbiome. So then they're loading you up with vitamin D. It's like a shit doc. It's a shit show. And it's whack-a-mole. Even- like you whack a problem here and then something else springs up there. And then you whack that with another drug and something springs up. And what you're describing, so you are, my friend, far from any, just a lowly trainer. I mean, you're actually, that statement right there is you're summing up so much of what is wrong with our current medical system, which is this idea of a pill for every ill. And don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of conventional medicine. I'm a conventionally trained gastroenterologist. I'm so glad that we have these incredible drugs available, but it's clear that we're not using them judiciously. And I remind people that every single medication has negative side effects. Prenatal vitamins have negative side effects. There is nothing that you can take that isn't potentially having a ramification, possibly negative somewhere else in your body. So what we all have to do is we have to do this cost-benefit analysis. And we need to do it before we take a vitamin, a mineral, a supplement, an over-the-counter, a prescription drug, even a life-saving therapy. We have to do that checks and balances and say, does what I'm potentially going to achieve with this drug, does that outweigh the potential risk? And I think so often we're not doing that. And you know, a lot of times we're not doing it because our doctors are not suggesting that we do it. But even if the doctor isn't offering that up, you need to, we all need to as consumers say, hey doc, this is great that this drug is going to really help my joint pain. Can you tell me a little bit about what are some of the unwanted side effects it might have? If your doctor's not offering it up, I want you to look it up. There are lots of websites where they list what are the most common side effects first. I mean, we've all seen those drugs on TV the biologics and things like that for autoimmune disease. And, you know, we see the person with Crohn's who's now happily at the farmer's market and eating lots of food they couldn't eat. And that's all true. Trust me, like these drugs, many of them can do that. But what we don't see, and they say it, you know, really fast at the end of the ad is like, yes, these drugs can cause serious infection and cancer and even death. And, you know, when someone tells you who who they are, believe them. So these are real potential side effects. And so for whatever we're treating, whether it's a stub toe, a headache or end stage cancer, we really have to consider um, the cost benefit and the, you know, the risks over the benefits for all these drugs. So, you know, the gut obviously is an organ that takes its toll because we are ingesting these drugs. We are swallowing them. They're going down our digestive tract. They're affecting the gut. People live on this stuff, Doc. I see it constantly. They live on Advil. They live on um, uh, Pepsid. They live on these things every single day, the -the over-the-counter stuff that they can just get their hands on. And it's all kind of analgesic self-treat. And I, I 
die when I hear it. I die when I Let's see it. Let's talk about the Advil. Let's, cause that's, you know, in your Where should world. We begin? Should we begin with the over the counter stuff? Yeah, okay, no, let's, let's start it, with the Advil, which is just for people who might not be as familiar. These are drugs that contain ibuprofen and they're often called NSAIDs, N-S-A-I-D-S, which stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, or an NSAID. And so we're talking about Advil, Anacin, Aleve, Motrin, you know, all of these drugs and aspirin that are ibuprofen. And they are anti-inflammatory for the joints, but unfortunately, they cause inflammation in the gut. And the thing about these drugs is they work really well. I mean, you you know, in the world of, you know, athleticism and you overdo it a little bit. I know for me as a super slow marathoner at mile 20, when my knee goes out and it feels like bone on bone and where's cartilage that I, I've got to take some Motrin for those last six miles. And at the end of the race, when I'm vomiting and people are like, oh, really good race. I'm like, no, the Motrin, I'm so sick from it, but it did get me through. So again, these drugs are really good at their job, which is to alleviate pain. inflammation in joints, to alleviate pain. But the back end, what's the price you're paying is in the gut because they can really cause a lot of inflammation in the gut lining. They can increase the intestinal permeability, what some people refer to as leaky gut. They can right. cause erosions, ulcers in the GI tract, and they can do that even in the absence of symptoms. So when I first met my husband over 20 years ago, he was he would get these sinus headaches and he would pop some sort of Advil sinus medication oh literally God. daily. And I was so shocked. I remember saying to him one day, I'm like, you know, every month that I'm on call at the hospital, we see somebody with near fatal gastrointestinal bleeding from NSAIDs. And he was like, really? And I was like, yes, when I'm at the hospital and I, you know, or I'm going in at 2 a.m. for an emergency bleeder, you know, nine times out of 10, that bleeding ulcer was caused by an NSAID. And typically- He lived on Excedrin and died. And did he have a GI bleed? Yep. Yeah. Yes. It is the most common- uh, cause of acute complications of these drugs is this GI bleeding. And here's the thing, you can't necessarily predict it. It's not dose dependent. So if we look at a drug like Tylenol, acetaminophen, which people also take right. for pain, acetaminophen oh. doesn't cause this ulceration, it, but it can cause problems with the liver, but it's dose dependent. So you know that below a certain dose of Tylenol, you're not going to have these issues. And above a certain dose of Tylenol or acetaminophen, the generic, the risk increases. But with the NSAIDs, even, I mean, of course, higher dose is higher risk of complications, but even sometimes lower doses, if you develop an ulcer in the wrong place that happens to be over a blood vessel, that blood vessel, you know, the erosion just happens to be over a large blood vessel, like the gastroduodenal artery, oh. that can lead to really massive bleeding. And so it's a little, it's a strange thing where I would go into the hospital and, you know, be oh. doing my emergency endoscopy oh. and this thing is spurting up blood everywhere. And we're trying to like clip it and we're trying to use heat to seal it. And then to come home and like my husband's popping this stuff oh, in the morning. Like, yep. No, no. So again, these drugs can be really effective, but we have to do a better job educating people about the risks and not just the really big fatal things or catastrophic things like the GI bleeding, but also what it's doing to your gut membrane. Because remember that that gut lining is only one cell thick. That's like a razor, razor thin, you know, lining. And it is the only thing protecting you from the outside world. Like what's in your gut is really the outside environment that you're ingesting. 
And so if mm-hmm. that membrane is all beat up because you've been taking Excedrin every day, oh it God. is going to increase the permeability. It is going to make you more susceptible to viruses getting through, to undigested food particles, to toxins, et cetera. Doc, um, I, I want to ask you about the daily aspirin. You know that a lot of these doctors are prophylactically putting people on a baby aspirin a day. And I, I'm like, no, I, unless you have like a severe clot problem, this is, this is going to cause problems in your gut. Oh, it has enteric coating. And I, I'm like, no, that's not going to save you. I can, can, am I wrong? You're, am you're I absolutely right, right. You're absolutely right. And I'll tell you, it sometimes takes a minute as in like a decade for the evidence to come out. But Jillian, I'm right with you, sister, with this skepticism of like, hmm, we're pretty well designed. The idea that we all need to take this extra thing to prevent something that could happen that's also messing up an existing body system. So you're right. If you are prone to clotting, if you have a clotting disorder, you might need to be on baby aspirin. If you have severe coronary artery disease and you're at risk for that closing up and so on. But the idea that the average person should be on this stuff, terrible idea. So I'll tell you, in my gastroenterology world, Decades ago, um, they came up with this idea that aspirin would help to prevent colon cancer. And it turned out, it took a couple of decades to work this out, that not only does it not prevent colon cancer, but it leads to an increased risk of dying from the complications, such as bleeding, et cetera. So again, this idea of prophylactically doing something, I think we have to take a little bit, well, if it ain't broke... Um, There are things that prophylactically can help. We know that eating more vegetables can prophylactically prevent colon cancer. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy, doc. Like I see it all the time with, because people asking, I'm like, well, well, why did they prescribe that for you? Well, my dad died of heart disease. I'm like, okay, well, what's your cholesterol? Total cholesterol, 120, bad cholesterol. Oh, it was like so low, it was lower than mine. Yeah, you're you're so right about that, this whole idea. And, you know, legacy prescribing is another thing. So we talk about like the whack-a, whack-a-mole, like you whack a problem with a drug, that drug creates three other problems. You whack a couple of those problems with another drug, that creates another problem. That legacy that. prescribing? Well, legacy prescribing refers to something a little bit different, which is that I prescribe something. Let's say you're having terrible heartburn. And I prescribe, and let's say you're having terrible heartburn because you're working nights and now you're eating dinner at 2 a.m. Let's just say hypothetically, you would never eat dinner at 2 a.m., but let's say you are. And so I put you on some Nexium and acid blocker. And I also say, hey, you need to eat dinner earlier while the sun is still shining. And you finally do that. And after about six weeks, things are better. But I leave you on that, even though you don't need it anymore. And then you go to see another doctor. Let's say you move to Oklahoma and you have a new doctor and then they look at your drugs and they're like, okay, well, she's on Nexium, seems to be doing fine on this, no problems, we'll just leave her on it. And so it is the idea of leaving people on medication that is no longer needed or that is no longer working. So another example would be, say somebody has high blood pressure, they get prescribed an antihypertensive, a drug for high blood pressure. It's not effective. They prescribe another drug, but they don't remove the one that's not working. And it's particularly important for older people. The over 65 population is a population where they're most 
over-prescribed. There's the most legacy prescribing. And here's the thing, they're the most vulnerable. Their yeah. livers are the most tender because they're older. Their gut microbiome is frailer. Everything oh. in an older person is typically, even a fit older person, they're most vulnerable. And they're the ones where we're prescribing the most medications. They're the ones who are most likely to have a side effect. And it, it's shocking sometimes people come in to the hospital and the list of, it's literally 40 things. And then I'll say, what are you on this for? They don't even know. Or there nope. are three versions of the same drug, different brands. And the, the big one are, are the stomach stuff. The NSAIDs, and I see the stomach stuff all the time. Yeah, and the acid blockers, the PPIs. So I I would say for people, the big three in terms of when you really think about, okay, your gut is a digestive organ. It's an engine for your entire body. All the fuel is coming from the gut. And if the gut isn't working properly, even if you're eating a super nutritious diet, you're not going to be assimilating and absorbing those nutrients if things are off, right? So it all starts and ends there. I want people to think, because it can be really overwhelming. We have an article from the journal Nature from 2021, where they looked at 41 different types of medications. And they found that half of them were potentially really problematic for the gut. So it can be really overwhelming. So I want to tell people a couple of rules of thumb. Number one, um, nothing is free. So everything you're potentially taking, even that fancy supplement that was advertised by, you know, whoever it was potentially has downside. So I want you to have a high bar. I want you to be able to say, okay, I notice an appreciable difference with this, whether it's a medication for high blood pressure, for diabetes, or mm-hmm. a supplement to make your hair grow, whatever it is, yep. you should say, okay, if in three months, which is adequate time for most drugs, I'm not noticing a difference then I'm going to stop this. And certainly if it's something that's prescribed, you got to talk to your doctor about it. Number one. I love that rule. Number two. Okay, that's a great guideline. Number two, when it comes to gut, I want people to think about three things. Stomach acid, the gut lining, and the gut microbes. Those are the three aspects of the gut from a defensive point of view with your immune system that are really important. So stomach acid, I want you to If you are on an acid blocking drug, like a proton pump inhibitor, I'm not talking about a short acting drug, like an antacid or a medium acting drug, like a histamine blocker, like Pepsid or something. But if you are on a proton pump inhibitor, which would be Nexium, Prilosec, Prevacid, Protonics, or sometimes Omeprazole, the generic, those are the drugs that completely shut down that stomach acid pump that make you more susceptible to infection, bacterial and viral, because you don't have stomach acid to kill off the pathogen when it gets into your body. And also the drugs that are going to really interrupt digestion. Because now instead of having an acidic pH, which is the ideal pH for the digestive enzymes to work, for digestion to happen, now you have an alkaline pH, which is a wrong pH and everything's going to be off. So if you are on a proton pump inhibitor, I want you to have a very clear discussion with the prescriber about why this was prescribed, what the goal is, what you can do to get off it. There are very, very few conditions that require you to be on these drugs long-term. If you are taking an NSAID, again, I want you to picture that gut lining, that one cell thick thick as a little cloak around you. And what happens when you have holes in that cloak and now you are more vulnerable? 
And I want you to really rethink your relationship to the NSAID. See if you could do a lower dose. See if you could do a different medication instead, maybe a Tylenol or something. See if you could do a little physical therapy, ice, massage, acupuncture, rest. What about natural stuff, doc? Like turmeric, silent cinnamon, ginger, ginseng, the natural kind of, okay. All great. Krill oil, things that kind of, you know, help with. Okay. Okay, sorry, go on. Fantastic suggestion. So think about how to stop the NSAID altogether, how to take something else, how to take a lower dose or how to really lean into some of these natural remedies that can make you feel a lot better and aren't going to mess up your gut. And then finally, the microbiome. Remember that this ecosystem, these trillions of organisms living inside us are our actual worker bees. They are the ones literally digesting the food, synthesizing the vitamins, removing the toxins, training the immune system, turning genes on and off, growing new blood vessels. Like these are all really important functions in your body. And if you mess them up, these functions are not going to work as well. And you can't just go out and take a probiotic. So remember, if you are being, pro- that's magical thinking. I do all the time. I do all the stuff you sing too. I do it all. You can take the probiotic, but you got to know that it's not do, magic, yeah. right? And it's no, everything I else. I do know. And like, is it getting where it needs to be? And, you know, you've only got so many strains. Like, I get but you're it. You're doing it's all like, the other things. So like, it's fine. Yeah, I'm doing all the things. You're doing all, all the other the things. things. But what is the most important thing? The most important thing is not to take the drugs that we know are going to kill off vast swaths of these microbes. So, you know, if you're really sick, you got a flesh eating bacteria, you certainly have my blessing, yeah. go for the antibiotic. But if right. you have the sniffles, you know, and maybe the antibiotic will reduce the time you're sick by a day or two. But if you have something that is clearly self-limited or more likely viral, you know, again, think about if you're stuffed up, taking a steam shower, putting your head over some, some steaming water, think about yeah. taking a decongestant, think about, you know, all the things going for a walk out in nature, deep breathing, all that, you know, binging something on Netflix to take your mind off it, whatever, whatever it is that you're going to do, um, that you can, because know that the antibiotic, no matter what is going to do some damage or is just, you know, that Monster. is just the reality. So more judicious use of these medications so that ultimately we can be healthier. Cause I'll tell you, I've been a doctor for 30 years and my, my most important piece of medical advice is judicious use of medication. So people come in thinking again, they're thinking I'm going to give them the magic combination of pre and pro and postbiotic and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, the most important thing for you to do is to stop doing the things that are ruinous to your gut. That's much more important than any supplement combination or anything else. And of course, a close second is you got to feed your gut, right? You got to, you know, put some good food in there. We got to take a break, but when we come back, I want to elaborate a little bit. I want you to elaborate a little bit on um, the acid piece because people think that's bad and they're trying to alkalize their gut. And then you've also got them taking, like they've got heartburn. So they're just like, I need it. I'm dying. I need Tagamet. I need Tom's. I need something. Um, and I'm wondering like what's going on there then when it becomes acidic. So Cindy's screaming me break in our little chat here. So we're going to take a break for the sponsors. and <laughs> We'll be right back with Dr. Robin check in. BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy in 2022. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. All right, guys, we are back with Dr. Robin Chuckan, and um, probably the best book, as we mentioned, of hers to read to get more information on this subject matter is the microbiome solution. And uh, Doc, before the break, you mentioned the three things, right? Acid, gut lining, microbes. I want to come back to number one. For some reason, in this kind of collective uh, zeitgeist of pop culture, there's been a belief that acid's bad, right? You got all these alkalizing waters and all this stuff. My point being, like, that's a monster industry, right? And, you know, people think it's bad. And then on the, on the same note, you've got people with acid problems. They get this reflux and this heartburn. So what what's causing the reflux and the heartburn to begin All with? All right, we're going to go deep on acid because... Of the three things I mentioned, this is a really important concept for people to understand. And I will tell you, the idea of acid being bad is completely a marketing construct. Mm-hmm. On There's a great book called um, Our Daily Meds by a woman named Melody Peterson. This book must be 20 years old. She's a journalist, medical journalist, one of the best books I've ever read about, um, you know, the pharmaceutical industry in general writ large and, and the campaigns they create around this. So there was definitely a campaign created a couple of decades ago to make people think stomach acid is bad. So overproduction of stomach acid is a very rare condition called Zollinger Ellison syndrome. We call it ZE for short in the GI tract. Zollinger Ellison syndrome is so rare that there's a whole department at NIH at the National Institute of Health to study Zollinger Ellison syndrome as part of the rare diseases thing. So Zollinger Ellison syndrome occurs in somewhere between one in 100,000 to one in a million people in the US. So we're talking about, you know, maybe there are several hundred to maybe a few thousand people in the US with Zollinger Ellison syndrome. For the millions of other people who are having acid reflux, what's happening is that that lower esophageal sphincter, the valve between the esophagus and stomach that's supposed to shut tight after you eat, the food goes down the esophagus, gets into the stomach, that sphincter is inappropriately opening. So I want to say it again. Acid reflux is a result of inappropriate relaxation of that sphincter, that muscular valve. 
not overproduction of stomach acid. And why does that lower esophageal sphincter open up inappropriately? For the most part, because we have eaten too large a meal and our stomach is so full that it blows the valve open. Or we have eaten too late at night when the stomach is very inactive, it's not contracting. So the food is just sitting there. It's not going down and it ends up blowing the valve open. Or we have eaten a very high fat meal, which also slows down the contractility of the stomach. Or we have been indulging in things that chemically open up that valve, like caffeine, alcohol, chocolate. These are the things that open up the valve. Even positionally, if we eat a large meal and then lie down, we don't have gravity helping things to go through. So now we're lying flat and we're getting reflux. So acid reflux is a result of these sort of mechanical and dietary factors. Eating late at night is one of the number one things I can get. I would say 75 to 80% of people off their proton pump inhibitor simply by having them calorie shift. Larger breakfast and lunch, lighter dinner, stop eating after the sun goes down, you'll be fine. Cut down on the wine, cut down on the caffeine. It doesn't have to be zero, but less, you'll be fine. Cut down a little bit on the high fat, you know, the big steaks, et cetera, you'll be fine. So this is really a dietary and lifestyle problem for most people. Dairy can be a big trigger for a lot of people, but instead the pharmaceutical industry has convinced everybody that, oh, you have overproduction of stomach acid and we need to block stomach acid and blocking stomach acid. Stomach acid is essential for digestion. That is why our stomach makes it. It activates an enzyme called pepsin, which breaks proteins down into amino oh acids God. that your is body that what can pepsin absorb. Is? It kills pepsin or something? Pepsin, right. Pe- exactly. So again, oh, if you don't have stomach acid, your pepsin is not going to be activated. Your protein is not going to be properly broken down. It's not going to be assimilated. It's necessary for absorption of vitamin B12. No matter how much vitamin B12 supplement you're taking or how much you're getting it from food, if you don't have adequate stomach acid, you're not going to be absorbing the vitamin B12. Fat-soluble vitamins like vitamins A, D, E, and K, they require acid also to be assimilated. Um, There's just so many things. Even intestinal peristalsis, the movement of the GI tract to churn the food and digest it, doesn't work properly without stomach acid. So again, to think that we can remove the most essential ingredient in the digestive process, we can just sort of say, okay, we're going to get rid of the stomach acid and it's not going to affect us. Magical thinking. When we look at the studies of people on these drugs long-term, not only do we see the increased risk of infection because now you've transformed your stomach from an acidic, relatively inhospitable place for viruses to a nice, friendly, alkaline environment for viruses. So there's not just that. We also see long-term effects neurologically. We see studies showing that these drugs long-term can affect us cognitively, potentially be a risk factor for dementia. We see studies showing that they affect the kidneys, they affect the heart, they affect the bones. The reason why these drugs can have such widespread effects is because they affect the engine, right? So if the engine is affected and now the fuel for these other organs is, you know, you're not, again, you could be eating the most nutritious diet, but if you're not assimilating the nutrients and absorbing it and getting it to the organs, the organs aren't going to function properly. And so for me, 
you know, there, there's plenty of stuff in the world to be aggrieved about, right? There's lots going on. But for me as a gastroenterologist, I watch my very well-meaning, lovely colleagues prescribing these drugs, like, you know. Oh my God, Doc, like I watched them prescribe it too. They yeah, and prescribe I like, it to my wife. They yes. it's, uh, why are they not? You, you can't but, leave a gastro. It's become this easy but thing. why? Just say, okay, why? it's your stomach acid. Take this, what you the, know. Why are they doing this? Here's the thing to realize is that a lot of the medical education that we get as physicians comes postgraduate after medical school, right? And who is it funded by? The vast majority of it is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, it doesn't have to sound like a conspiracy. Why do you know? Why does Dr. Casey Means understand type 2 diabetes? Why do you understand this? Because I, I, I broke out of that. Um, pharmaceutical paradigm. And I broke out of it as a result, as you know, of my daughter's being my daughter's illness, her being very sick as a newborn because of Mm -hmm. overexposure to antibiotics and how that profoundly affected her health really into, you know, toddlerhood and beyond. And I had to take, I saw this stuff with new eyes and I was like, wait a second, all these antibiotics that they're giving her that I'm like, oh, great. They're being really proactive. They're really making her sicker. They're Doc. making, you know, they're affecting our immune system. But I'll tell you, Jillian, I trained shit at really is criminal. Good places, it is. It's Columbia, criminal. Mount Sinai. I did not know this in my medical training. So it sometimes takes, whether it's a personal experience, I started seeing this in my patients with autoimmune diseases like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Very often they had a history of frequent antibiotic use, of frequent acid blockade, et cetera. So you know, when you are so sort of indoctrinated by this industry that you're working hand and glove with very closely with, it's sometimes become, it's actually more difficult, Jillian, I think for physicians to realize, oh, these drugs that we've been prescribing for decades are actually part of the problem. It's harder for a physician to do that, to realize that than for a lay person, because they've not gone through this whole sort of, you know, educational indoctrination about how great these drugs are. Right. Okay. Doc, what does one do when you get an ulcer? Cause then they so give the, you antibiotics and the antacids. Well, the majority of ulcers are caused by two things. They're caused by NSAIDs and they're caused by a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori. So if you have an NSAID ulcer, which is very common, the first thing you need to do is you need to stop the NSAID, right? That's yep. pretty obvious. And you need to avoid them in the future because it means yep. you're going to be at higher risk in the future. And in that setting, taking a proton pump inhibitor, again, one of these potent acid blocking drugs for a period of time, whether it's you know right. two, four, six, or eight yeah. weeks, as your doctor decides, yep. is completely appropriate. That is going to lead to rapid healing of the ulcer. What is not appropriate is to stay on that drug long-term. That's when we run into problems. I so understand. short-term treatment, few yes. weeks, even a couple months, not right. a problem. It's the long-term, that legacy prescribing, you know, your ulcer is long healed, but we're just going to leave you on this. That's a problem. I and, uh, you know, again, these drugs are fantastic, potent, you know, really good at what they do, but they're being used inappropriately. So that's the deal with the ulcer. And of course, if your ulcer is from Helicobacter pylori, then we have regimens to eradicate the Helicobacter pylori. Some of them involve a lot of antibiotics, some involve fewer, some involve none. And depending on your particular situation with the H. pylori and the ulcer, et cetera, you got to decide with your healthcare provider, which one of those regimens is appropriate for you. 
But again, that's different from, I have the sniffles, I have a cold, I want to feel better immediately. Give me an antibiotic, right? And yeah. a bleeding ulcer turns out you have H pylori. That's a different kind of indication. So what we really need to do is wow. we also need to, I mean, it would be, would it be fantastic if all the doctors were super well-informed and they were thinking about all these different things, not just healing your ulcer, but your gut lining, your microbiome, stomach acid, it would be perfect. In lieu of that, or until we get there, the next best thing is we all need to be well-informed consumers. And we need to ask those probing questions. We need to challenge our healthcare professionals graciously and yeah. say, hey, I know you're yeah. prescribing this drug and it sounds like it could be really helpful, but yeah. what would happen if I didn't take it? And what would the natural history of this illness be? And what are some non-pharmaceutical alternatives and blah, 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 on and on and on. So we, because here's the thing, so often the physician wants to make the patient happy, right? And they're like, the patient wants something. So the physician's like, I'm going to give them what they want. Is that necessarily the right thing? No, but they don't want the patient walking out pissed off. Like I came and I saw this doctor and I waited an hour and I walk out of here with nothing. And wow. so we, we have Shit. to be the kind of consumer who has one eyebrow raised and is like, oh, I'm not sure I really want to take that medication, right? I need to know a little bit more about it. Doc, um, the top offenders, we've got the NSAIDs, antacids. Um, no, not, but else? not antacids, proton pump inhibitors specifically because antacids are short acting. So proton okay. pump inhibitors that shut down the acid pump long term. Super bad. What about mm -hmm. Pepsid, Tagamet, those things? Yeah, those things are okay to take as needed. As needed. But the PPIs Tums, you take daily. Is there one that's better than another? Tums, what about something Tums like Tums? Tums is okay to take as needed. I mean, in order of like how potent they are, Tums would be the least potent, then the Pepsid, Tagamets, then the proton pump inhibitors. So Got if it. you can get away with a Tums as needed, fantastic. If you need to Got step it. it up and take a Pepsid or a Tagamet as needed again, Great. What you want to avoid is a daily PPI and then antibiotics to round out that, that trio, yeah. right? That's really, those are the three that we got to be mindful of. Yeah. From a gut perspective, those, you know, and those are common, the NSAIDs, the proton pump inhibitors, acid blockers, and the antibiotics are the uh, ones the that are really, really, really detrimental to the gut. Um, okay. Two more questions, doc, two more questions. Um, I see a lot of the Xanax, the uh, uh, Prozax, the Zolofs. Side effects on the stomach or not too bad? Because those are chronic. Because the next question is about chronic use. And they tend to leave people on that stuff a long, long time. So yeah, those, those, and again, I, you know, really empathize with people who are struggling from a mental health point of view. I will say in terms of these drugs, these drugs are giant band-aids, right? They're not typically solving the problem. When we look at the SSRIs, so some of the Zolofs and the Prozacs and drugs like that, um, we know that they have a detrimental effect on gut bacteria. In fact, we know looking at the generic of Prozac, Fluoxetine, there was a study showing that that drug is associated with resistant E. coli in the gut. So those drugs are definitely not free when it comes to the gut. They can also cause motility issues. They can make you more constipated, sometimes looser stool, et cetera, depending. So they definitely affect the gut. When we talk about Xanax, those are benzodiazepines. So those are sort of tranquilizers, anti-anxiety, if you will. Yeah. And the problem with those is in addition to whatever problems are causing in the gut, 
is that they're habit forming. So they can definitely yeah. make you feel calmer, et cetera. But then when you stop taking them, you have rebound panic and anxiety, which is often greater than the initial panic and anxiety oh, you have. Okay. And they affect us cognitively. We know that. So, you know, we're all worried about how our brains are aging and dementia risk and so on. When we look at that kind of straight line up for dementia, right? This is not a genetic thing that's, you know, the gene pool isn't changing that rapidly. What is changing that rapidly are two things, ultra processed foods and how they affect us and rampant use of medications that affect the brain, like antihistamines, like benzodiazepines, like SSRIs, et cetera. And again, I'm not saying that any one of these things leads to dementia. Like, let's be clear, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying the cumulative burden of drugs that affect us neurologically is definitely one of the risk factors for why our brains are like just going, you know. Are- well, that's, that is the question of the week is, can you talk about the chronic use of any drug over the counter prescribed in the gut? In terms of chronic use of drugs and potentially the gut, let's talk about antibiotics because there was a study from the nurse's health study. There was a, a great scientific article from the nurse's health study that came out earlier this spring that looked at the use of antibiotics in middle-aged women who they defined as women in their 50s. And what they found was that two months or more cumulative use, not two months in a row, but over several years, if you added up all the times you'd been on antibiotics and it came to more than a couple months, that was associated with a cognitive decline that was equivalent of aging your brain three to four years. So in addition to the fact that these antibiotics are killing off gut microbes, gut microbes are essential for us to digest food, synthesize vitamins, clear toxins, train the immune system, et cetera. So you've done a number on your gut microbes, but I think most people don't realize like the, the, most people are not putting it together that taking antibiotics can affect you cognitively. It can age your brain. It can increase your likelihood of dementia. And so we have to think deeply Every time we take one of these drugs, we have to think, what is this doing to my gut? And what are the implications for the rest of my body? And do I really need it? So I think, Jillian, that that nurse's health study to me, I mean, I was stopped in my tracks when I saw it, because obviously as a gastroenterologist who studies the microbiome, I've written books on this stuff. I'm very aware of the literature, but I was struck by this cognitive decline. And for me, having a parent with Alzheimer's, I'm not doing anything that's going to age my brain. I'm trying to hang on to every brain cell I have for as long as possible. So I think people just aren't connecting the dots. And partly the medical system isn't connecting the dots for people. We are failing in our job. We're really good at prescribing and we're not good at preventing and at giving people the full picture of what this can potentially be doing. But this is why we have to take self-agency and this is why we have to do the homework and we have to read your books and listen to podcasts with people like you on them and, you know, do our own homework based on that information because it, it just is no excuse. You, you can't blindly sort of accept the, the, the party line, period, end of story. And um, Doc, I, you blow my mind every single show. You are an absolute... Honestly, you're 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 absolutely brilliant. Uh, I Aww. the acid reflux. I cannot wait to go find my wife. And just be like, oh <laughs> my God! But here's you know, what, Julian, here's Julian, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You and I are. Very, 
what it is, is we have to reject the status quo. Yeah. Just like in your field, you're like, look, it's not normal to be frail and weak and not strong and not fit. That's not the norm. That is, that's not oh how God. you're supposed no, to be. Right. Right. Yeah. You reject. Now I'm not sure if like having your arms is a possibility for me, but I'm working <laughs> towards it aspirational. Right. But you say reject the status quo. That's not normal. Our default is that we can be fit and strong. And I 100%. say the same thing. Reject 100%. the status quo. You're not supposed to be on 10 different medications and feeling terrible. You're not even supposed to be on medication. That is not the norm. Do not accept that. Reject that. Say, even if you have a medically diagnosed condition, what can I do to get this condition into remission? What can I do to get off these medications? This stuff is possible. But remember, and again, I know this sounds a little like crazy conspiracist, but just think about it practically. We have these pharmaceutical companies that are in large part supporting medical education and they are making trillions of dollars off of selling these drugs. So at what point in their narrative are they going to be spreading the message that, hey, not only do you not need this drug, but staying on it is a bad idea, right? Yeah. So again, we have to reject that status quo and we have to fight hard for how we can be well and how we can be healthy and how we can use these medications more judiciously only when we really need them. Doc, um, okay. The book we want everyone to read based off today is your book, The Microbiome Solution. Website, socials, hit them with it. And these will be in the show notes, guys, because in case you're driving or you're on the go, it'll be in the show notes. I think Gutless, my first book, is a great place to start for general overview of the gut, how it's supposed to work, what goes wrong, what you can do to fix it. Second book, The Microbiome Solution, that's a deep dive into the gut microbiome. And particularly if you have a chronic illness and autoimmune disease, great resource. Third book, The Bloat Cure, that's a quickie. A to Z, 101 things that bloat you and what to do for real and lasting relief. That's like the cliff notes. And then the most recent book that came out in November, 2022, The Antiviral Gut, how to be a healthier host so we can be more resilient to pathogens in general. That's, you know, my latest love letter to everybody for how we can all have healthier guts website, robinchutcan.com. I apologize. The first and last name are a little bit tricky to spell, but they're in the show notes and you can find me on social at gutless. And I love doing these sessions with you. You definitely, you and I, we speak the same love language, healthy poops, less drugs, <laughs> stool nirvana, Love it. Oh, Doc, thank you so much. Until next time. Hey, guys, if you're enjoying the show, do us a big favor and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it just helps us get the show out there, get it heard by more people. We really appreciate it.